last Sunday evening, last Sunday evening at the end of a very long day, I more or less dragged myself to Kol Shafar in Tiburon for the Marin Interfaith Council vigil. It was a gathering to express support for the Jewish community after the shootings at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, and for everyone, regardless of faith, to express deep grief at the loss, the hatred, and the senselessness of an attack on a worshiping community. I went partly out of a sense of obligation as a representative of this community and as a colleague to the two rabbis at the larger Jewish congregations in Marin, Susan Leiter at Kol Shafar and Stacy Friedman at Rodef Shalom. I've met in a group of rabbis and Presbyterian pastors for the past four years, and at this point, I consider them to be my friends. It was growing dark when I arrived Sunday evening, and I knew it was a bigger-than-average event when I had to park about three blocks away. The Kol Shafar Sanctuary is round, like a Greek theater, with the bima, what we would call the pulpit or the chancel, in the center, lower than the seats that rise up around it. I arrived just before the start time of 6.30 and found a seat in the very back row, the top row. Scott Quinn, the director of the Marin Interfaith Council, found me and gave me a candle. The official representatives, re- representatives of the 35 or so congregations represented there held lit candles throughout the service. Within a few minutes, it was standing room only, with many people lining the walls surrounding the pews. Rabbi Alana Brown of Rodef Shalom began with an achingly beautiful Hebrew chant in a minor key. It was the perfect, nonverbal, non-rational introduction to the service. A series of speakers from churches, temples, and mosques, and the Green Gulch Zen Center offered prayers, wisdom, and song. People shed tears. People laughed. People felt hope. People were reminded that love lives in Marin. Love Lives in Marin is the interfaith anti-hate project that grew out of that monthly rabbis and pastors meeting I mentioned. When Floyd Tompkins from the seminary next door spoke, he put words to the holy mystery that we were already experiencing. The Reverend Tompkins pointed out that more was happening at that service than sharing a common grief. More was happening than consolation or even support. When we gather in worship, said Floyd, we affirm that our lives are not a random biological accident. Rather, our lives are miracles given from one generation to the next with a purpose to make us all better. When we gather for worship, we affirm that we are the expression of a kind and powerful force of the universe that calls us to reimagine our community and replenish our hope in every generation. When we read the stories of our sacred texts of resiliency, resurrection, and responsibility, 
We create an expectation of a destiny for humanity that is far more expansive than just a present reaction to our current circumstances. Churches and synagogues and mosques and temples deconstruct the notion that faith is only about a personal search for individual fulfillment. Community worship changes the pronouns of our faith from me and my to us and we. The theme of the psalm that Jim read, Psalm 146, is lifelong worship, lifelong wonder, lifelong celebration, lifelong attention and devotion to God through bearing witness to God's faithfulness and God's justice. The psalm begins and ends by encouraging us to praise the Lord, which is the meaning of the Hebrew phrase, Alleluia. The psalm celebrates the good news that in the face of human frailty, in the face of trials and tribulations, in the face of evil and even mortality, God remains trustworthy. What's more, from creation to eternity, God is dedicated to assisting those in deepest need and direst circumstances. God, says the psalm, executes justice for the oppressed. God gives food to the hungry, sets the prisoners free, lifts up those who are bowed down, watches over the strangers, and upholds the most vulnerable. Praise the Lord. We 21st century Americans, we Marin County dwellers, we progressive and enlightened Christians, might shudder at the phrase, praise the Lord. It doesn't roll off our lips easily. We might associate it with a different brand of piety than we're used to, something more conservative, narrow, simple. You choose your own adjective. But it isn't conservative. In fact, it's radical. It's downright dangerous. Think about it. We worship what matters most to us, right? People in our culture worship wealth, power, status, security, and we can see how that shapes them. Worshiping security or worshiping wealth shapes people. Likewise, worshiping God shapes us. In worshiping God as opposed to these other options, We are drawn into the heart of God and sent out to embody God's love. Cheryl read Mark's version of the Great Commandments, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. These really aren't two commandments. They're one. We are deeply loved by God. Every one of us is deeply loved by God. And so we love God best by loving our neighbor whom God deeply loves. In John's first letter, we're reminded that we love because God first loved us. What we call faith is really nothing more or less than being grasped by the power of that love. That love is a calling. We are called by God's love 
to show God's love to the rest of the world. What we do here in worship on Sunday mornings is discover that, celebrate that, and let it shape us. Then we share it with others and take it out into the world, changing the pronouns, as Floyd Tompkins put it, from me and my to us and we. And that, said Floyd, that is what is such an anathema to evil. Evil counts on people believing themselves to be small, to be disconnected, and to be discounted. The service at Kol Shafar was a confirmation of something William Sloan Coffin wrote. To love God by loving my neighbor is an impulse, impulse equally at the heart of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And I would add, other faiths as well. Instead of fighting over my religion is right and yours is wrong, it's time to notice and celebrate that although religions are different, most seek to fulfill the same purpose, which is to transform people from self-preoccupation to the wholehearted giving of oneself to the love for God and others. I was reminded at Kol Shafar that every gathering of worshiping people, every gathering that has praised the Lord at its heart and soul, is a powerful nevertheless to the voices of despair, to the subtle and not-so-subtle efforts to dominate, bully, or deny the humanity of our fellow human beings. That includes our worship here. Worship is always a declaration of hope, and that means worship is resistance. Worship is always a wake-up call to act. In a world like ours where many forces would prefer that we stay asleep and succumb to despair, that does indeed make us dangerous. Worship doesn't take place only when we gather on Sunday mornings, of course. We, we worship when we visit someone in the hospital or console the bereaved. We worship when we rebuild homes destroyed by a hurricane in Puerto Rico, and when we serve a good hot meal and offer companionship at one of the street chaplaincy dinners coming up. We worship when we march for gun safety, climate justice, or an end to the separation of families at the border. If a church has a life, what we call programs are not just busy work, but worship. But something important happens here when we gather specifically and intentionally to say, Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We Presbyterians aren't known for unbridled enthusiasm, and that's okay. However people worship the living God, we are shaped, we are transformed by that worship. Today on All Saints Sunday, we also celebrate that somehow, in a mysterious way, when we gather at this table, we sit not only shoulder to shoulder with each other and shoulder to shoulder with Christ, but also shoulder-to-shoulder shoulder with all those who have gone before us, saints like Martis Whiteman, Johnny Holm, Nan Harl, Carl Basor, saints like those whose names you've written on the clouds on the sanctuary walls, the cloud of witnesses, borrowing a phrase from the book of Hebrews, 
These are the people who accompanied us, mentor us, serve as role models for us. In his letters, the Apostle Paul uses the words saints to refer to the church here and now at all times and in all places. And that's how Presbyterians define saints. On All Saints Day, our focus is not on extraordinary achievements of particular Christians, but on the grace and work of God through ordinary worshiping people, people like you and me. Whether or not you're comfortable claiming the title, we are the saints of God. We, the saints of San Anselmo, are called to love God and neighbor. We are called to worship in community, to serve a community, to create a community. And in all this, we encounter the God who is greater than all of our communities. So we gather at this table today. Here is where we worship. Here we find strength for the journey. Here, where the time and distance between heaven and earth thin out, we give thanks to God for all the saints who have led us, encouraged us, and inspired us, including you. Here we encounter the living God, and nothing, my friends, is more dangerous than that, because it means nothing will ever be the same. Here we remind each other that there is now a greater power in us than any power we might encounter in the world. Here we boldly and unapologetically praise the God who calls us to rise in faith. And here we declare our resolve to be creative and courageous in our loving in the face of all that lies ahead. Thanks be to God for you the saints of San Anselmo, and for all those saints, past, present, and future, who raise their voices or their fists to cry out, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.